This episode of Set Listen Bruce is brought to you by Tweaked Audio. Know a podcast fan? Tweaked Audio headphones make the perfect gift. For awesome headphones, go to tweakedaudio.com and use the coupon code SOUTHGATE to get 30% off, plus free shipping and a lifetime warranty. You can also reach it by going through a link on our website, southgatemediagroup.com. And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. And joining me tonight is a guy that um, I saw him tweeting about Rob and JB and Bella's discussion of a certain song. And I went, hey, Walt sounds like he has an interesting story. I need to get him on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Walt. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Um, so uh, I've listened to a couple episodes of the um, Her Again, right? Did yeah. I get it right? So um, it's not Her Again. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a real fun one. It's uh, Again, it's Michael Domenico and, and me and this other guy, Drew Murray. And essentially, it's that's been a, a fun project where the first round essentially was looking at uh, all the times that Meryl Streep lost an Oscar and those Oscar years. And uh, lately, it's been a Julia Roberts miniseries, but that is a podcast that I am regular third chair on. So, uh, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. It's a it's a fun time. It is a really fun time, and I have a major crush on Julia Roberts. I just I think she's just amazing, and uh, I also liked a couple of the Meryl Streep discussions. Um, you know because. She really is that good, uh, you know, yeah. and, and you at first, you know, you're like all these she has to do an accent and all these serious films. But when you see her do uh, when she played the Carrie Fisher type role in the mm-hmm. mom um, and I'm drawing a blank on the the name of the movie where um, and Shirley MacLaine paid the uh, Debbie Reynolds role. Um, I was yeah. like, she, this is amazing. Uh, you know, she she is really just very good. So and there's connection, right? She uh, she sang a Springsteen song um, recently in her movie where she played this, you know, aging rocker. So, yeah. Uh, so Postcards from the Edge is the movie that uh, yes, you were thinking you. of, which is actually one of my favorites from that run. I hadn't really had a great like I hadn't seen it before. It was like early 90s, which was always for whatever reason. Uh, a kind of gap for me when it came to movies, but that actually ended up being uh, my favorite of all of the uh, of Meryl Streep movies that I got to watch. But she is a uh, yeah. I mean, I think that again. So Michael picked uh, the actresses that we've watched so far, and I think he's actually got the next one in mind. And I've actually really liked watching these Julia Roberts movies because it gives a very good. I think that they're two very different actresses, and I think that I actually have a better appreciation for each of them having kind of watched them both in this kind of setting in the sense that like 
they're very different, and I think that I, I kind of appreciate what Meryl Streep does a little bit more seeing what Julia Roberts lacks in it and much in the opposite direction where I think that Roberts really does have something that Streep doesn't. And I think that you can kind of really understand what their advantages are and what makes them such like, let's be frank, your institutions. And so yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, they yeah. are both uh, acting icons and, and uh, just very different. And um, so, yeah, that's why, I, I I really enjoy listening to you guys talk about it. and so oh, That's so nice podcast. to hear. Michael will be really delighted to hear that, yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, so as we normally start, um, I always like to get to the, the introduction, uh, kind of the origin story. Um, tell me a little bit about growing up. What kind of music did your family listen to? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in uh, j- just north of New York City. Uh, again, so my my mom's family's from New Jersey, uh, father's family's from Long Island. So uh, I grew up again uh, immersed in Bruce Springsteen. He was a a presence in many ways, you know. Uh, and so I would say in general, like this was definitely the kind of music that I was exposed to growing up. Uh, and while a lot of the time I didn't go on to enjoy that kind of stuff uh, moving forward. Like I don't love Billy Joel really, uh, but he's very much in that New York, New Jersey cocktail of, of artists that, you know, see, see a little bit Absolutely. more disproportionate spins yeah. one might say. Um, but uh, Springsteen, I still have a very, very robust admiration for and really enjoy. And I would say that like, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you get exposed to when you're a kid that you're just like, Oh, you know, this is a kid thing. I don't really want it anymore. I kind of grow past it, but like, Springsteen's got a depth to him that I really have come to appreciate um, time and time again and kind of revisiting his work. It, it's uh, it makes you admire it even more in the sense that like it's very the stuff that you don't get when you're 17 is the stuff that you get when you're 22. But then the stuff and then it just keeps on kind of evolving with you. And I think that he's got that kind of quality in a way that I uh, always enjoy. You know, one of the things I a couple of guys have been on the podcast and. Um, mentioned Tunnel of Love, and you know I can't remember now which guest, and I'm sure I'll get called out. But um, you know he said you have to have your heart broken a couple of times before you appreciate <laughs> Tunnel of Love. Uh, you know, and and I think there is a lot of truth to that. Um, so from your perspective, you just have always known Bruce. He's you know kind of grown up in the atmosphere. Um, was it a gradual? fandom of his or just as you liked it and then did you start getting more and more with his music yeah so again with any kind of uh i think like the relationship that people have with music is always fascinating because it's always like at a certain point you kind of go through periods of infatuation with artists and whatnot in the sense that like you have periods whether it's like a genre where you just go real deep in on a genre and then you find your favorites and then you move on and the kind of thing is that I think that people always talk about like media consumption and I think that in music like the eating metaphor is actually super more applicable than in the same way that you see it in like movies or or TV and whatnot in the sense that like music tends to be a thing that you actually actively consume and the thing is that there's a period of time where you kind of finish consuming it and then move on to different stuff and that kind of thing right and yeah. so like not to like stretch the metaphor too far but I think that uh, you see this when people like get into music and get into genres and whatnot that they will listen to classic rock for three years and then they will stop doing that thing and then move on to a new thing and, and that changes them and that kind of change like you kind of become what you consume I think in a lot of ways when it comes to media that's one reason that I think that 
culture reporting is just as important and uh, worth it as many other different types of reporting. And I think that like with music, it's very fun to kind of watch like, okay, so there were like several times in my life when I consumed either specifically or incidentally uh, lots of Springsteen. And like you can look at in high school when I like had my own car, um, this was like the day was like one of those situations where the technology for getting songs from your like iPod or your digital media device onto your car stereo was uh, more fickle than it is today. It was like basically the years before Bluetooth was like instantaneous yes. and the years after everybody actually had CDs. So yeah, there was this weird nether zone where, well, if the tape adapter that you somehow MacGyvered your iPod onto wasn't working, you would have to have a radio station or two to fall back on. And so, like, I listen to – I don't know if your listeners are in the New York area – a lot of Q1043 for several years, which is just the classic rock station in New York. And uh, they're, they've got a real good uh, reputation. Obviously, I did this whole story about classic rock when I was at 538, and I can go deep into the actual how that stuff gets made. Um, but – that was a pretty solid set of instruction, I think, because the local flavor of, of classic rock stations is actually super informed by the communities. And so since it was New York classic rock, I, I got a robust amount of Springsteen. You know, um, the story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly um, uh, Don Henley from the Eagles was, you know, he lives here in the Dallas area and he was listening and someone played an Eagle song and they mentioned the radio station said classic rock. And yeah. supposedly he had said, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> we, we we're this is a whole nother market for us. Um, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I And much like the famous, you know, after 9-11, someone tells Bruce, we need you. Um, whether it's true or not, you want it to be true because it's such a great story. Um, yes, I. in fact, I'm going to – if you end up having fun with me, I certainly would like in um, in a future episode to kind of talk about that because I am fascinated by that. And I'm old enough I, – I graduated high school in 1977, and I remember moving to Dallas in 84, and um, the – um, oldie station K Love mm. would play um, some 50s and some 60s music, right? Yeah. And now then, they still are the oldie station, but they don't play 50s and 60s. Right. You know, they maybe, but mostly it's, you know, 80s and, and 90s. And, and it's just, it's um, my other, I'm going to mix my metaphors, but. Um, I'm a big comic book fan, and Superman sure. is always 29. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so Ma and Pa Kent originally were like in the 30s and 40s, Smallville. And then yeah. you slowly reached the point where um, I remember like in the 70s reading a comic where Lana Lang was talking about the Beatles, and it blew my mind. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> but because of their – you know, Superman's always 29, so 15, um, you know, 20 years before is when his teenage years are. So it's kind of similar with the classic rock. Yeah, it's funny. I, like, I'm a big, I'm, I'm deep into comics. I do some writing for Marvel.com sometimes, and 
uh, I'm really into the Marvel side of things in general. And like, yeah, Franklin Richards has been 12 years old for 40 years. Like, and how they kind of work around those problems of uh, like DC is interesting in the sense that DC has a much more um, reliable relationship with the concept of legacy in the sense that in DC heroes age. And then there are new people who take over that. Um, like there has been a series of green lanterns. There have been a number of flashes Whereas in Marvel, um, they've handled the timeline somewhat differently and having and watching those reckonings kind of take place of the same X-Men who were um, real hip in the 60s having to kind of adapt to the times is always like a fascinating thing to watch. But like classic rock, I think, is very interesting because it's the only radio it's the only like genre, so to speak, where you don't really nobody starts a band and all right, boys, we're going to be a classic rock. But like nobody does that. Everybody starts off and then it's just kind of a thing that happens to you. And I always found that like, how did you decide how does who decides who that happens to who decides and how do they decide what becomes classic rock and when it becomes classic rock. And so I did this whole thing at 538. If listeners want to check it out, you can just give it a search, but uh, of like what exactly is classic rock. And the answer is actually fascinating. So, uh, yeah, uh, like I said, (laughs) if you're willing, I think that would be a fun discussion to have. Not only I want them to go read the article, but I think it would be a good discussion. Um, Yeah. You know, you know, Spider-Man is always, you know, the kind of back and forth that, um, you know, do we make him a student? Do we put him in, um, you know, in the different problems they've had of um, yeah. where let's he gets a job and um, how we're working on this? Um, similar with, to a certain degree, Lee Fox Phantom, at least now the twins are, you know, teenagers. <laughs> but, you know, the... You know, this has been the phantom for the modern phantom has been going on since, you know, the strip first started. So, um, yeah, yeah, that that's very cool. Um, so you're obviously a fan of Bruce. Uh, have you seen him before live? Nope. No, I have not. You are a prime example, Walt. Um, I always say that the number of times you've seen him perform is not a fair barometer of what how big of a fan you are because of circumstances where you live or just um, financial yeah. and, and time. It just it doesn't it is can be very, very strange and it may not work out. So, I mean, I again, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. I'm late 20s and whatnot. I, he's clearly been a, a force for uh, a musical force for my entire life. But again, his kind of core audience these days is affluent and, and on the older side a lot of the times. And so yeah. you can see with like Springsteen on Broadway, uh, I, that's not for me. I mean, I know that they're doing the same thing that like the folks at Hamilton did, which is that they've apparently cut a very – uh, they've done a, uh, they filmed it or they intend to film it or they've got contracts on paper to film it and they'll do some sort of release down the line. But I think uh, the music business is very interesting because I think that a lot of what some folks have found is that you that patron model of just like we don't we like maybe hitting every maybe getting a certain amount of money from everybody isn't as worth it as getting a very finite amount of money from some specific people. Uh, I just don't think the economics have ever really truly cut it with me because again the folks who are also trying to buy that seat in MetLife are uh, are uh, at a considerable financial advantage than uh, people who have student loans. But I think that the, the music of uh, of Springsteen has that power to kind of transcend a lot of those uh, economic realities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what's 
the um, it's been announced that December fourteenth, the very last night that he's officially on Broadway, um, they're showing it on Netflix. Mm, um, so, cool, yeah. um, which is funny because there was a lot of when it was announced, there were people um, uh, some on social media talking about. Hmm, how do I get Netflix Netflix without paying for the fee? And we're like, okay, <laughs> you haven't you you have not blinked an eye at paying anywhere from, you know, $80 to $700 for a ticket to yeah. see it live and you're worried about the 10 bucks for Netflix? <laughs> uh, it just uh it was kind of a uh funny thing. Um yeah. So I know we have a limited amount of time, and I'm already just enjoying the heck out of visiting with you. Yeah, sure. But um, what, how I found you is um, JB and Rob, who do the wonderful Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet podcast. It is, um, I feel like we're brothers in podcasting. (laughs) And, um, you know, they were talking about Streets of Philadelphia, and they got Bella, who is one of my favorite people, Bella. Corey has been on this show for a couple of times. She ha- oh great yeah she's yeah. wonderful I I only know her through Twitter but um she's very funny and like I just saw essentially that that podcast got posted and I, I wasn't following it at the time and it was just hilarious that they like just straight up called like and just had a wonderful conversation about the song that I had honestly kind of counted down a little bit down on yeah and so uh, just to give you a little more background and then I want to hear about that um, yeah Bella joined me to share her story. Um, She's also been where she talked about uh, Bruce's five uh, gayest um, songs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and then also she she did the Seeger session. She talked about that album with me. And I met Bella for dinner before I I was lucky enough to get a Springsteen ticket and paid way too much money for it. Um, (laughs) My wife was very kind. and so I got to have dinner with her. So she's just truly one of my favorite people. And so I, how did you – did you just happen to see her posting it, and so you decided to check it out? Yeah, that's literally what happened. Um, I, I was actually I, – if I remember correctly, I was on a bus um, coming back from hanging out with some friends in D.C., and I was – I always kind of voracious for content whenever you're doing one of those longer trips. So uh, I think it was just one of those like perfect times where I was like, yes, I can randomly um, pick this podcast that I hadn't heard before and give it a spin because this is the exact perfect setting for this. Uh, and so, yeah, no, just kind of one of those nice opportunities. <laughs> so what was your feelings about street of Philadelphia before? Yeah, I had, um, so the Oscar song category has always fascinated me. Um, and so, so when we did, uh, that first mini series of not her again, that involved going through all the, um, Oscar gears. And it wasn't just about against Streep's performance. It was linked to it, but a lot of it was about what were the narratives that year? What, like watching how the Oscars have grown and changed over time, um, was kind of a very fun way of looking at that. <clears throat> and one thing that we did was, uh, we wanted to look at the song category each year because uh, I think that there's some very interesting things that you can kind of figure about how music has changed and music's role in film has changed. And the other thing is that the song in the Academy Awards, the the core provision of it is that it has to be an original song written exclusively for the film um, which it is nominated with. Yes. And so you can't have a song that was written, you know, like 
beforehand, but then used really well in the in the in the movie. Uh, it has to be deliberate, intentional pairing and creation for it. And as a result, so many of these songs are absolutely terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, and like I always think of um, to bring it back to Julia Roberts, um, Notting Hill is mm-hmm. one of my favorite films. I have no idea why. It's, I mean, I own it on DVD, but if it is on the movie, you know, if it's on one of the channels, I will get sucked into watching it. Um, Watching the ending when they are frantically trying to get to the press conference, but is I'm always enjoyed. And I think the music in that film is really well done, especially the, um, when you say nothing at all. Yeah. When they're in the garden and so I just love that song and the way they use it. It's it's not an original song, so it can't qualify for that. But right. it 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 really helps sell the scene and it helps do everything. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So I mean, I so I've actually I wrote about a story for this about five thirty eight because again, having done not her again and we again like it's a it's an audio medium, right? So we're we put a cut clip from each of these songs into the episode. And so I had a chance to really, you know, taste from the waters of this category. And so you watch a couple different types of songs show up repeatedly. You've got, um, there's a few like really good ones. So my favorite type of this song, uh, best original song nominee is when they uh, do a film adaptation of a beloved stage musical, because what they'll always do every damn time is remember the songs have to be written explicitly for the film. So they need to add in a song. They need to like call up the guy who wrote the book for the musical and then say, Hey, uh, Mr. Lloyd Webber, we need you to put another one in the picture so that we can get a nominee in. And so that's where I'd like, I'll just put this list. Like suddenly from Les Mis, learn to be lonely from Phantom of the Opera. I move on from Chicago, hopelessly devoted to you from Greece, mean green mother from outer space from little shop of horrors. All of these are just like, uh, what, what you got on that cutting room floor. And so they cram it in this category. So I kind of like, I personally don't really think that the category is the strongest one, and I think that it's uh, oftentimes not even recognizing some of the best um, use of the uh, the medium. But my like, there's this subset also of them is when you get a uh, a popular musician phoning in a ballad uh, to try to get uh, like an Oscar, and so um, the U2 members are the worst at this. So like Bono had the Hands That Built America. Um, Sting has done like five of these since he, like my funny friend and me until you will be my intro love the empty chair. Um, John Bon Jovi did blaze of glory. Um, Paul McCartney did vanilla sky and our man, Bruce Springsteen has done two, uh, dead man walking in the streets of Philadelphia. Yes. And it must've just been the context of it because again, it's just, it's a like streets of Philadelphia as a song. It's, it's again, it's very, um, I mean, it's a, I don't know enough about music to say like it's in, in a minor key, but it's 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 a bummer. Um, yeah. It's it's uh, if you look at kind of I, I was consuming all these songs in the context of where they were, and as if you ask me where it kind of stacks up in the Oscar songs, it's I don't think it's really a particularly good one, and so it's just sort of it was always in a weird place for me because I always kind of had it mentally lumped in this set of kind of sour or like again rockers show up they would like to get near that egot and they phone it in and then you get 
Bono crooning about hands they built America, and it's a it's mediocre. And so yeah. for some like I really just kind of play Streets of Philadelphia very firmly in that category, like the same kind of mentality that Justin Timberlake writes can't stop the feeling for freaking trolls you know right like, and, and so by yeah. the way i i did go read that article after we saw that and i thought it was really well done and fascinating um you know they the my son is will be 30 next year but so he was at the age with the modern golden age of disney musicals right yeah so, yeah yeah you know my little mermaid aladdin Beauty yep. and the Beast, you know, just these amazing uh, films that had amazing songs. I mean, yeah. you know, so I mean, John showed the hell up for the Lion King and yeah. his credit, like that kind of thing. You know, yeah. Uh, my my son and I still love Phil Collins, um, mm-hmm. the Tarzan soundtrack. Sure, yeah. You know, I mean, that you know, that three or four pop songs that he kind of did. Um, you know, we just we still love because of the memories of it. But yeah, there is that kind of, um, it, it, you know, it, I understood your categories of, you know, pop star doing a song. Yep. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. Like wings, uh, live or let die is a great song. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And so the bonds are fascinating because like the bonds lately have been going for really good folks. And I think historically, like you look at some of the Shirley Bassey or Carly Simons, like they're they like the bond franchise, I think is one of my favorite ones, but weirdly they, they'd gotten largely blanked on the nominations for best original song for years. And and so like, and again, like there's different songs, different context. You can look at like, there's some songs that one that are absolutely insane that they've one and, and are ridiculous but um i think in general it's a it's a weaker cat you have the potential for a lot more variance i'd say you know yeah. you can have some quite bad stuff in there at the same time that like again like somewhere over the rainbow largely considered one of the greatest songs in ever used in movies like justifiably won. and like you do have songs that really do endure in a way mm-hmm. um and there is something to be said for the category absolutely but i would just say that like you you are not always going to get the best ones here. And I just, uh, after going through so many of these, um, you can see the kind of the, the real downers on it. And, and like this year, kind of the idea of propositioning somebody to write a song for you can like have good and bad effects. Like Celine Dion, I think wrote a very good song hilariously enough for Deadpool too. And I think that they're going to make a push for that. And so I think that like you can get good art from this. Yeah, but I am kind of curious about how um, some of the thought that goes into it. Yeah, so you're so you're on your bus uh, or train yeah. uh, coming back home. You're no, listening. it's a bus. A cop. I'm okay. A, I'm okay. pretty no, sure. no, no, no. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. So you're listening to the podcast. Um, what about and in what? For those of you who don't know, I don't I don't have the tweet right in front of me, but you said it was a great discussion and it made you change your opinion about mm-hmm. the song. So share what about the discussion and how did your opinion change? Yeah. And I realized that I was kind of always looking at it a little bit wrong. And I think that it's a song that like to really connect it, it is uh, fundamentally not like, like I was missing the context. The context wasn't um, 
it just being a song in and of itself. The context wasn't it being a nominated song with many other songs in the category. The context was how it's used in the film Philadelphia. And that was what I kind of hadn't really put together with it and, and kind of not that Philadelphia is, is an elaborate Bruce Springsteen music video, but you know, we can get to that argument in a bit. Um, I do think that it, it, it's important to view the work in the context that it's desired in, that if, um, it was written explicitly for this. I know a lot of like, historically speaking, lots of popular musicians have phoned in a, a, a song in order to try to get an Oscar. But again, like, let's get back to Bruce. Like Bruce Springsteen is not your average pop musician. And so I think that I, I hadn't really viewed it in the fullness of the space and really kind of thought about what it's getting at there and, and looking past essentially either the dissociated song streets of Philadelphia or the, uh, or again, like just like the whole Oscar, um, shambolic mess that is the campaign, you know? Yeah. And, um, I think that's really interesting because, um, I remember, when streets of when philadelphia came out and um siskel and ebert talked about the beauty of the song and how well it worked and then they did talk about the music video and they said that as far as they know this is the first time that a mainstream uh rock star had sung from the perspective of being someone who was gay right yeah and um and just so you know, my wife and I know how to good, have a good time. Um, we were – our son was very young, so we ended up getting a babysitter, and so we wanted to catch up on movies. So we watched Schindler's List and Philadelphia the same day. And then, oh, my God. And at the end, we're like, that was not a smart idea. This was yeah, not a smart idea. That's like doing a shot of whiskey and then as a chaser doing a shot of tequila. Like, yes. Good God. It was like, oh, my goodness. Um, and yeah, uh, and uh, I had never thought when Bella was first on, she talked about how much, um, as someone who is a lesbian, the streets of Philadelphia meant to her. And, um, so I was really impressed with that. Um, so I think it's interesting that you kind of look at it in a context. I'm obviously a Springsteen fan i do a podcast on him and yeah. you don't you just don't picture him and i may be unfair bruce sitting there going hmm you know what i think it'd be fun to write a song f and get an oscar it truly is <laughs> this guy asked me okay let me see what i can do right yeah i again i think that there's a lot to be said for so like again one thing that really like we talked about like the different phases uh, of which you get infatuated with musician right so there was yeah. the the time in college where uh, uh the time in high school where i was driving a lot in in new jersey which i think fundamentally uh makes you like bruce springsteen more like if you right. are just driving in new jersey uh, on on like route 17 or or any of the uh the parkway or throughway or anything like that you are like more more inclined to understand the music in a, sure. in a in a better sense um but and but like the real second time that i uh like so when bruce got inducted into the kennedy center the guy who which i'm sure all your uh, listeners know but john stewart was the guy who gave the speech essentially outlining um what he kind of meant and all that kind of thing and, and i think that like i had seen that um and that again really made me um appreciate him kind of all over again and get a little bit into the deeper stuff and the other um and so that kind of reignited 
the new, oh, I should listen to more Bruce again. I should do that, even though I had I was going to a college in a different state. And, and by this point, streaming networks had started coming up again. And, and so you had this on-demand quality. Um, you didn't yeah. like – and so – that kind of spurred a second look because that was just I think that if you watch it's again like it's like 20 minutes but it like kills me every time it's just such a terrific um, distillation of what uh, Springsteen is kind of capable of conveying with a song and John Stewart gets at this really interesting notion of that um, Bruce Springsteen really knows how to um, identify and um, really hit you in the part of you that yearns and stuff like that and I think that's kind of the crux of uh, his induction speech. And I think that like that fundamentally made me uh, appreciate and get back into um, the guy's work. And I think that to kind of, to your point is just like, Nope, he has struck on uh, a suite of emotions that um, both that simultaneously transcends, but is also like extremely personal and extremely specific and extremely contextual in the way that if you try to write a song for everybody, you're not going to, hit everybody emotionally but if you try to like write a very specific notion or a very specific sentimentality or a very specific perspective you can actually accidentally hit everybody or like deliberately do that you know um so i I think that that's kind of the bigger picture of like if you look at the phases that you appreciate an artist in yeah one of my favorite stories um i'm a big neil gaiman fan yeah yeah and he had talked about in his collection of short stories that um, he said, you might find this hard to believe, but um, when someone says, hey, Neil, I'd like a short story for my collection, um, what do you – would you write it? And Neil goes, oh, yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, what do you want it to be about? And they're like, oh, Neil, it's you. Whatever you want to write about. Mm-hmm. He said, horrible. Yeah. Just, you know. But if someone says, yeah, I'm doing a collection of stories about – angels and i think it would be interesting if maybe you did a story about a cat being an angel yeah. oh okay and then he can go through and that's and, a that's a great story the one that you're referring to that is a great story it's absolutely a great story um and i i like that idea of um you know bruce at times will i i, I have this story to tell and i want to tell this person's story and if it if other people hear it and get something out of it, great. But this is the character I want to share about, and, and I think that is one of his talents. Um, I will be very interested, uh, Walt, after you watch, because I'm sure you'll end up seeing it on Netflix, seeing the yeah. Broadway play, and then I'd love to have you back on and you discuss it because um, it is very personal. It is very um, – he, he shares a lot of himself in his stories, and um, I, someone made the joke once, um, hey, quit singing and tell me more stories, which they thought they'd never see. Um, that is awesome. Any other thoughts about Streets of Philadelphia you want to share? Uh, no. I mean, again, I think a lot of it comes down to – one thing I've tried to get better at is um, – revisiting like trying to recontextualize stuff and see if that changes how I view it in the, in the way of like, Oh, I don't care for the song. But then if you kind of listen to the whole album, you'll be like, Oh, song makes sense now. Got it. Yeah. And like the, clearly that's, uh, that you, you, nobody has the time to do that all over the place. But I think that in this example, I was very much like, Oh, I had actually been viewing this song from the wrong perspective. I hadn't like, I had been trying to view it on, 
terms that it itself was not going for. And I think mm-hmm. that by re-looking – like, again, like, the context for that is not – it's a song that was nominated for an Oscar or it's a song that was in this competition that I like to yeah. watch a lot, you know? Um, or it's a thing that I had heard on the radio uh, once in a blue moon and it was just kind of a uh, a more downer compared to the much more upbeat stuff that I'm used to. And so, like, by – I like, the way that you consume media accidentally um, – dissociate stuff from its actual context right and, and it decontextualizes it whether it's uh, on streaming shuffle or uh, q1043 or right. just looking at the list of things that want a thing like it's decontextualized in the performance and i think like a good example of this is if you were to ask me l- late last year what i thought about the film three billboards outside of ebbing missouri which is a film that i did not prefer for the academy award uh, i would have potentially trashed it or whatever um but like now like yeah it's a fine movie like it's good like you, you, like in the in the decontextualized moment of these competitions and in the decontextualized moment of how we consume media these days um sometimes you need to like take a deep breath and be like oh yeah that was like that's pretty good and like if i were to remove all the artificial emotional baggage that we throw at the media that we consume <laughs> um, yeah I, you know? I think a, a great example of that and i'm i may be making myself look um, uneducated and unsophisticated, but um, you know everyone. Most critics will agree that um, Raging Bull should have won instead of Ordinary People. Sure. Uh, and but and I agree, Raging Bull is a great film. But I really loved Ordinary People. There it yeah. is. It is. I thought it was a great story. I fell for the sadness, and partly because uh, the scene where Jared is calling to ask. Um, the girl out and when she says yes he has such a joy and i i feel like it captured that moment of us being young and taking the courage to ask someone out and them saying yes and that feeling of joy you got um and just the sadness of it um so i think it's a perfectly good movie and, and unfortunately the way the oscars work it's a competition yeah. But it doesn't mean necessarily it's a bad movie. Same thing. I like the three billboards, you know. I and and I I saw it and I was like, oh, that that's an interesting story. So yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, uh, and, and like again, there's lots of different like in in like you can accredit to like death of the author or any stuff like that. But right. I think in general, like there's a lot of different. Uh, ways to like like entangle yourself emotionally with a piece of art and um being able to step aside from that and like realize oh no just because i don't care for sean penn doesn't mean that i can't appreciate um this part of like dead man walking right like the song right that kind of stuff and like there's a lot of different ways that you can accidentally make yourself like or dislike stuff like a very good example just to give you specifically some years that we were um that we covered in in not her again right um the great example of this is 1998 when shakespeare in love beat saving private ryan right and so you can like that is uh like you can lots of people have a a knee-jerk animus towards the film shakespeare in love because they were rooting for saving private ryan but like, if you just watch the movie, I mean, like, you have a good time. It's enjoyable. Like, it's cl- it they're is. clearly doing exactly. two very different things. But when you have some, like, 
um, lots of people that that will be the hill that they choose to die on. Shakespeare in Love fucking sucks compared to Saving Private Ryan. And the idea is that Shakespeare in Love is like, you know, it's a good movie. And like you have other like there's tons of examples of this, like American Beauty um, beating out like the Sixth Sense, like which I think is a great example of one like <laughs> clearly American Beauty uh, had a couple problems that uh, 20 years later. Uh, we're yes. only kind of coming to realize now that aged a little bit poorly. Uh, but I think in general, you can relitigate these as much as you want. But in being able to kind of take a step back, disentangle where you emotionally live on that kind of thing, you can look back at all the movies of like 98 or 99 or any of those and just be like, wow, those are actually really good. Um, the, yeah. Like pretty good years, all things considered. You yeah, know? like a couple of one – like – I love West Wing, and so yeah. I'm pulling for Alice and Janie to win for Tanya. You know, Which is I, Tanya, <laughs> right? I mean, like that has that's nothing a to do with it. I think, like, yeah, but, but like I like her so much. Yeah, but. exactly. It's like, but but it's CJ. CJ can win an yeah. Oscar, you know. And um, so, like, so much of these the 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 Oscar races are are. There's a narrative behind it, right? And so contextualizing why things happen that different way helps you understand it. But I think it also is like it's a good deep breath of being like, well, I, Tanya, do I have a problem with the film? I don't know if I, how I feel about it totally, but I do really like this performance and I do like the fact that this movie happened and I do – and that kind of – Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I feel like if there's a lesson that I learned or, or at least had reinforced to me through uh, the, that wonderful discussion of Streets of Philadelphia, it is to uh, sometimes like take – two steps back and if the picture doesn't change take five steps back and if the picture doesn't yeah. change take six steps forward and, and and like just continually try to assess why you feel the way that you feel about stuff and see if you are able to change your feelings about it so all yeah. right before i ask you how people can find you i do have sure. a question um we call it the mary question um we had um jay armstrong is a um high school english teacher he teaches um, advanced um, English and honors English, and they cover Thunder Road as a poem, and they compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled. They cover all the imagery and the visions of Thunder Road, and then at the end of the poem, he says, at the end of the class, he says, does Mary get in the car? Because mm. it does not, it's not explicitly said in the lyrics. So, Walt, that is my question to you. Mm, okay, so this is um, – you've struck upon something that I like very wholeheartedly believe, that, whereas like if there's ambiguity in a work, it is extremely purposeful and that you're supposed to dwell on that uh, ambiguity, that if the artist wanted to end with an image of somebody walking away from the car or somebody walking into the car, they would have ended with that image. They have the ability to do it. And so I think that like the deliberate ambiguity left over is kind of forcing – people to consider you know that you can ask yourself whether it's like the road less traveled and all that kind of stuff and the idea is uh, i like the idea of of not having an answer to these questions and so okay i that I is a, to, yeah like, that's a perfectly good answer um you know they bring up the fact like people say born in the usa is very misunderstood and yeah. but he specifically wrote the lyrics and then had that driving anthem music um, because he wanted, I believe, in my humble opinion, that feeling, that dual feeling on there. So, yeah, um, it's 
kind of like the lady in the tiger short story, right? Uh, yep. You're like, we aren't supposed to know the answer. Good answer. Good answer. All right. Walt, this has absolutely <laughs> been wonderful. I know you need to go. Tell if my listeners want to find you, how can they? Great. Yeah, I got a lot of this. So if you're a fan of podcasts and you like uh, movies and, and, again, kind of going deep in on actresses, I am a consistent third chair on this podcast, Not Her Again. Uh, that is if on Twitter at like at not her again pod and it's on Apple. Um, you know, that place yeah. where podcasts live uh, on Twitter. I'm at Walt Hickey and I write a daily morning newsletter, uh, that comes in every day and highlights, uh, seven stories that you might not catch otherwise. And also, um, bear, bubble up numbers buried in the news and that you can find at numlock.news, just the URL numlock.news. Yeah. I was hoping we'd have time to talk about that because, yeah, sure. um, next time. Um, because I find that fascinating, um, the different numbers and how you're doing that. Um, and I want to hear that origin story, but we'll do that Terrific, in another yeah. podcast. Uh, very <laughs> good. All right, hang tight while I do a little business. If you want to join me on the podcast and share your Springsteen story, I can be reached at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. Uh, the podcast is on Twitter at SetLustingBruce, and I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. Please go to iTunes to rate and review the podcast. I cannot stress enough how important ratings and reviews are for finding new listeners. Right, Walt? Yep. Uh, definitely do it. Uh, you should always subscribe to people's Patreons, too. That's what I believe. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Any final thoughts, sir? No, I mean, thank you so much for having me on. This was a ton of fun. Uh, I always like, uh, as a crypto Bruce fan, I'm always a big fan to have an opportunity to talk about it. <laughs> well, um, thank you. I think you were a great guest. And, you know, that's always my goal is that my guest just has a good time. And because that's really what all this is about. Thank you. I appreciate it. We will, I will reach out to you and we'll schedule another one. If you had that much fun, I'm going to hope hold you to visiting yeah. with me again. <laughs> all right. Uh, listeners, we thank you. We'll talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. Set Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 